Hello and welcome back to Black Women Working Podcast. This is season five, episode six. It's me, Tolu, hosting. Ladies, can you please introduce yourselves? Hey, it's Nats. Hey, it's Rach. Hello, Chantal here. Awesome. So that one's for the new followers in case we've got any new followers or new listeners so you know who each of us is. Um, you can find us in the usual places. It's at BWWPodcastUK on Instagram or Twitter. Um, you can join the conversation using hashtag BWWPodcastUK. And um, you can find us on our website as well, www.blackwomenworking.com. Um, so without further ado, in today's episode... We're going to be discussing a topic that I love a lot and it's specifically about being a black woman in sports. So I love sports, right? So it's nice to kind of be able to discuss this in the context of a black woman working. So, you know, I grew up loving sports. I've played pretty much every sport that you could think of. My school was just one of those schools. Um, even played sports to past university. But today in particular, we are focusing on athletics aka track and field so I grew up watching you know the championships indoor outdoor olympics I even thought at some point (laughs) that I might actually represent England or I don't know why I'm laughing it's possible but obviously that hasn't happened and it's 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 well out of the time that I could even do that now but um a funny little story that I have is like when London 2012 was on and I was watching the track and field events with my dad, he was like, oh, he was like, why, why aren't you there doing it? And I was really annoyed in that moment because I just thought, excuse me, did you ever encourage or support that, sir? So I was just giving him the side eye because little did he know that that was kind of my dream, but I didn't make it, but it's fine. God had other plans. But um, I say that all to say, or I say all that to say, even that's the right way to say it. Um, we've had some really great black female athletes um, in this nation. We still do. We've had the likes of Denise Lewis, Christine O'Horogu, Perry Shake Straighton, Dina Asher-Smith, Kelly Holmes, so much more. The list goes on. Sorry, I have to call out Tessa as well. Yes, of course. The OG, the OG, yes. OG, 100%. So this is why I'm particularly happy and jubilant to have um, our guest that is joining us today on the show. So by way of a small, small introduction, um, she has won medals across the following events, Commonwealth Games, European Championships, World Indoor and Outdoor Championships, and at the Olympics as well. So we're in the presence of greatness here today. No, so introduce your tongues, your sound effects. Pew, 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 pew. So, could our lovely guest please introduce herself? <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Anka Onora. Um, yeah, that that was. I can't even top that introduction. Oh, thank you so much. I was like, who did all of that? <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So I'm really glad to have you here today as well because I think you're amazing. And, um, you know, the first time I met you, like I learned so much, even in that short period of time, I learned so much about, you know, your time in Team GB, the other things that you do outside of athletics as well, your charitable work. And I honestly thought, who more fitting to come here and really excavate the nuances of being a black female athlete in the UK because I don't know that I've heard 
that story before to be honest maybe possibly somewhere else but I personally haven't heard it and I thought it might be of interest and value to many of our listeners as well so moving on the first question I'm going to ask actually I'm going to direct it to the BWW team. So in two short sentences or two words, what comes to mind when you think of black female athletes in the UK? Um, I, you know what? I, lo- I love athletics. I used to run when I was younger. But I think that black women running, especially for the UK or across the board, are underrated unless mm. there is controversy surrounding our name, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel? Um, I don't know if I have two words. I, I really oh, I really admire black women that are in athletics, sports in general. I used to also run, so I know like the dedication that it takes. But I think I would say hardworking. It takes a lot to actually get up and train and do mm. everything that you have to do. You have to secure sponsorships and all of these things. I'm sure we'll discuss a bit later. Um, but it's a lot of hard work and the small glimpse that I got to get close to that field, it was hard. So I can just imagine how it was, how it is for those that are doing it full time as their job. Like it must be really hard work. Mm-hmm. So Annika, I'm going to bring you in here. Like what are your thoughts on those perceptions? How true would you say that is in, in your experience? Oof, I would definitely agree with pretty much all of what you've said, mm. what you what you've all said regarding, oh gosh, everything hard working. <laughs> um, you know, at times it was difficult, especially when, <clears throat> excuse me, it came to securing sponsorship. Um, having, although we are celebrated, it also comes with a level of controversy as well, mm-hmm. and it does feel like as a black woman, you are always a target, whether you like it or not. Mm. Um, you're not you're not necessarily treated the same, and <clears throat> you know what's really funny? It's super ironic because when I watched the Olympics, that was you know that was the first Olympic Games I hadn't been in. I hadn't been to in you know like 12, 14 years. So now that I'm retired and I'm watching from the outside, mm. um, it makes me realize like there's a lot of messed up stuff. Like so, just like everything from. The comment, the commentaries, so how black athletes are mentioned and spoken about, especially black women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not just talking track and field; I'm talking across the board. So if you, if any of you guys watch the Olympics, if you yes. notice any of the commentary regarding how, uh, like for example, in the Simone Biles mm-hmm. and how she, how she, um, you know, she's she's a ghost. You know, she's a ghost gymnastics, but she's not actually given the same attributes like uh, elegance and um you know just beautiful and all of this and i cannot stand it whereas when it's a white woman or a white girl they they have all these positive attributes and they can finish seventh they may not even medal but they'll get all the glory all the positivity these girls are probably still you know getting endorsed by who, whoever, and getting all the money in the world, whereas the rest of us are just out here 
100%. Now, I'm going to pause you on that because we're going to come to that a bit later. But first of all, we're going to take it back a little bit more and we're going to get into the genesis of your career and how you started. So my question to you is, um, how were you and or your talent discovered and how did that lead to a place on Team GB? Oh, good question. So I I went to um, an all-girls school in Liverpool mm-hmm. and um my teach my school teachers were actually really really positive and super encouraging I I always loved athletics when I was a kid like my I come from a family full of sports people like my brother played professional football my other brother played um basketball um but I I didn't know I was gonna go into athletics or have anything to do with it but I knew I was quick when I was mm. a kid and then it wasn't until sports day, maybe around, I think I was around 14. And sports day was the only moment where where I get to basically have all the attention on me just for one day. Mm. <laughs> just for one day. That was it. Because, you know, sports is what I loved. I loved, you know, different sports. But sports day was a one day um, where, like, I just get all the accolades. And I was competing in a 100, 200, 400 both the four by one and four by four relays. I had some really quick girls in the school as well. So when we put a relay team together, we were just like an ultimate force. So I, but I remember distinctly this year, that particular year, sorry. Um, every time, <laughs> every time I won a medal was I was winning first place. And between events, I was once I got on the podium, I'd run back to my mom, <laughs> and who was sitting in the stands, and she's sitting with all the white women, who were my. <laughs> Who my school friends' moms, <laughs> and they were all there, and they had like maybe a certificate and like one trophy or like a little bit of a medal between them. Whereas I was coming back with like trophy, certificate, medals. Like my mom was just covered, and she was like, "Oh yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going." So that was it. That was it. I was I felt encouraged in that moment. Um, and then at the end of that sports day, there was um, I I didn't know this, but there was an athletics coach who was watching me. So, so one of the scouts. And he was just like, you know, you're super fast. You know, you've got so much strength and speed. Would you ever consider becoming a member of the club? Now, I was actually shy as a kid. Um, I, I'm a middle child, so I just like being in my own world. And um, I wasn't too sure about it at all. And then my school friend, who was, supposed to, who was also a member of the club, she was there at the time. And she was like, yeah, Annika, don't worry. I'll introduce you to everyone so you won't be by yourself. You know how you are as a girl at that age? You know, when I didn't, I didn't, inter- I went to all girls school, so I actually didn't interact with anyone outside of my school mm. um, until I joined this club. So I went down the next day, brand new kit, brand new spikes, everything. And I turned up and my friend wasn't there. So I was about to go home. And then the coach was like, where are you going? You're already here. So, you know, you may as well take part. And I did. And, and from that moment, that's pretty much how it started. And then within a year, two, yeah, oh, probably within two years, I was probably, yeah, within two years, I was representing, I got my first GB call up as a junior. And the first one is always the special one mm. because once you get, I remember everything. And this was like going back, what year? This is 20 years ago, yeah. So <clears throat> once I remember everything so once you get a phone call from the team manager to say yeah you've been selected then you you know you get to fly with the team my, my event was in France so I got to leave the country for the first time with my family um 
and I got to meet new team members. Christine was also on that team event as well, mm-hmm. so I got to meet her for the first time. And yeah, it's just getting the kit. When you get that kit for the first time, and you realize like you want more, you want more opportunities, you want you want more more moments like this, and and yeah, that, that's pretty much where it started, and it didn't stop until 2019 <laughs> amazing amazing that leads perfectly kind of into my next question because you've mentioned that you came from a family who was invested in sports anyway with your siblings as well as that so I guess the how I'm going to phrase the next bit is you know we're all from Afro-Caribbean communities um all of us here and they usually have you know high expectations of us as they should do but you know there is that kind of mm-hmm. sometimes a bit of an inflexible expectation whereas can you be a doctor lawyer nurse or engineer and it's that so (laughs) I know that we've discussed before you know that balance of hustling for your dreams but also having your parents educational expectations of you in the back of your mind but I guess for the benefit of everyone listening how much did that play a part in your approach to your athletic career and ambitions if indeed that was like a major consideration for you Oh yes, it was. It had to be. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to. Um, I wasn't allowed to go into the sports straight from college or uni or school, and you know become a professional athlete because my dad, who was super smart, proud Nigerian man, he was like, "No, you can't. Like, I'm no child of mine is going straight into sport." Mm. So I ended up. He actually picked my degree for. <laughs> he actually picked my degree for me. <laughs> Um, which is ironic. Relates. But, but he um but I actually I actually didn't mind. I I had a I had a really, really close relationship with my dad. So at the time I was studying business. I didn't want to study anything to do with sports, PE, any of that. I just wanted to focus on the things that I knew that I'm good at and that I enjoyed. And I studied business in school and did A level and then um, I remember when that UCAS form came and we were going for different degrees to study. He basically was just like, "You're studying economics." <laughs> I said, "All right," and that was it. I was just like, "Okay, fine." And that, yeah, but it, it wasn't. He wasn't like he said. He basically said, "As soon as you get your degree, you can do whatever you want. But until you get your degree, you can't go full time pro athlete." And it was the right thing. I mean, there was a lot of money floating about. A bit more money, I would say, floating about in the sport back twenty years ago, but um, but he he would hear some horror stories, and even looking back, I would hear so many horror stories of mm. how athletes had become had gone pro between the ages of sixteen and eighteen. You know, you're signing big contracts with Nike and Adidas. They you'd be on like six figures. Imagine being on six figures at the age of seventeen, mm. more money than your parents ever in the whole lives, and you're just like a kid has just got endorsements after endorsements but your career can also be done by 21 22 mm-hmm. and then and then you it's like then what your career is dried up you may have a horrific injury that you may never able to come out of so so yeah but that was just making sure I was well equipped to handle whatever came my way um, I haven't something to fall back on so that's yeah fantastic. that's pretty much how it all worked out yeah, really good. Yeah, cool. Um, now throwing this back out to the team, you know, um, have you guys ever felt? I don't think we've discussed this before. Maybe we have, but I'm not sure. But have you guys ever felt, you know, that tussle between your know, non-traditional dreams and the career direction you ended up going down? I feel like 
majority of you are kind of doing what you always intended to do and I'm the airy fairy one but um if that's not the case how did you navigate that situation for your goods I will actually never know it's funny that we referenced um sister act just before we started recording because there were times in primary school I was like I'm going to be a singer and it was fully Rita situation no you're not singing I was excellent oh at athletics mm -hmm. i represented my borough up until secondary and my mum's line was your brains are not in your feet and she just she didn't she didn't acknowledge that creatives art sports could actually be a career and i think that that is remnant of like her history in the 70s slash 80s education 70s yeah whereby, you know, Black Caribbean in particular, children were underachieving, marginalised in the classroom, but you could sing in the school, you could sing at the Christmas carol and you could play at sports day. Mm. And I feel like my mum carried a little bit of trauma in that, no, you're not going to be that guy, they're going to see you for your brains, mm. which is fair enough. But, I, but we've spoken about cheerleaders on the podcast and... As a parent now myself, I know it goes a really, really long way for a young person to have, I'd say, adult backing because these things are not easy, pursuing creative arts and sports. It does take a lot of work. Yes, you might have the talent, but you do need an advocate. So I'll never know if I was supposed to be Lauren Hill. Or <laughs> See, it's Lauren Hill is a stretch, you know. Wow, send them for me. All right, all right then. Rachel, what about you? Um, I actually was really good at athletics. I was I performed for my borough and then I started running for a club. Um I was training there quite often morning and evening my parents used to take me used to stress them out and then they said to me your grades are slipping so it's either mm. your books or you're going to be doing athletics and at the time that kind of meant me pulling more away from school and maybe doing like a home tutoring situation which I wasn't very enthusiastic about because I enjoyed going to school mm. I enjoyed being around my friends and I picked books and every day I look at athletics, sports and black women that are in those professions. And I think, oh, my God, that actually could have been me if I had kept up with the training that I was doing. And um, I don't know. I, maybe I might have been able to go to Olympics. I would have loved to. And like that's why when I see black women winning and getting all the medals, mm. I literally I'm cheering so hard for them because I know that that could have been my life. And I know how hard it is to even get to that stage. So yeah, I think that could have been me and I had to p make a decision. Um, but yeah, that's that's really what happened. Nats, did you run for your borough as well? No. <laughs> Thank God, because I was just like, I thought I was good at athletics, but man didn't run for no borough, you know. Man just ran at no. school. <laughs> me, I do not like sports. Sports is not me. Sports is not for me. No? No. No. <laughs> Why? What for? To be fair, Why this question it? is not necessarily based on sports. It could you could have had a dream to I be I just had to clarify. A I music know. producer or something. <laughs> I feel like I was quite lucky in the sense of I had parents that just let me do whatever I wanted to do. But 
like a nerd that I truly am, I actually picked books with no compulsions. It's like, I love to read. So that's what I'm going to do. My parents let me go on like music courses. They let me go on drama courses, whatever I wanted to do. They always really encouraged me to do it. But I feel like that's because while my dad is a solicitor as well, he's actually also a musician. And we come from a family of musicians, people who are like singers and um, session musicians, session singers. So we've always had people who've done both. So it's it's never been a situation Weird. where you have to pick one. So if I wanted to take singing seriously, I know my dad kind of was, my mum was on me about it, but I was like, it's not everyday praise and worship, please. I <laughs> but I know that if I really wanted to push it, like my family would have been like fully, fully supportive. But mm. I, I don't know, books is just, books and academics have always been my Natural safe love. space mm. it's weirder because now I'm older I'm like more interested in trying different avenues but yeah I know running is not for me I'm sorry darling no. I don't know like in my head I just thought you're a runner like you just yeah I, I was I feel good like... when I was younger and then yeah. I just thought no nah. yeah sorry, no no like my contest, I touched on it briefly before. Mate, I was playing everything in school. I did cricket, I did football, I did netball, I did tennis, I did rounders. Anything that was going on, basically, I did yeah. except for, like, swimming because I just love sport. I was good at running 100 and 200 on my events, but there were people that were better than me, which always irritated me. Like, um, the I don't know, the yearly sports, whatever. What, what do we call them? Sports games? Sports whatever. Games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but occasionally, man did get medals and stuff. In primary school, I was oh, one God. of the best. But yeah, secondary school humbled me. But despite, like, my passion for sport, you know. <laughs> why are you laughing? Don't laugh, man. Don't laugh. The way you said it, oh, my God. <laughs> no, it, it really did. Like, you know when you're running the 200, yeah, and you're like, yeah, man's fast. And then you're running, and someone just goes, boom by you like road runner and like you're pumping your legs so fast like it's it's almost like you're gonna fall down but there's just no way you're gonna catch up with that and it's like so what drugs are you taking because i know you couldn't have run that naturally because i'm fast do you know what i mean so the, the humility entered the chat basically but um yeah i think my parents are happy for me to do it as like extracurricular stuff but yeah. pursuing it full time what's that what spots no 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 you're studying maths you're studying english you're going to university what's music eh, 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 eh. we don't do that in that that's not what they said but it was quite clear and yeah i wanted to i actually wanted to be a music producer believe it or not I wanted to be a music producer. That. I can believe that. And um, they were not having a bar of it. That's that's one long-winded story for probably another podcast. But yeah, they were not into it. And um, yes, my my degree was also picked for me. And but I changed it at the last what minute. Did you study? So, um, so what they intended was that I would go to uni and study electrical engineering, which I hated. I hated it because they made me study electronics for DT in school, which I never wanted to do. I wanted to make things. I wanted to make a lamp. I wanted to make a table. I didn't want to study like electronic. I didn't care about it. But anyway, yeah. I changed it at the very last moment 
<clears throat> to what did I change it to multimedia computer systems because it had one music produce production module um in like the second year but then after a year of doing that which because it was basically pure electronics and coding all that I rubbish hurts, man. I, yeah exactly literally and it was too intense like five hours a day like no I can't do that so yeah I changed to English and African studies but I think I've given the shorter longer version of this story here before so basically all the questions before this was just like a little roundup a nice introduction you know setting the scene and the tone of the meat of the matter which you touched on at the very beginning of the past podcast Annika but we're going to go a bit more into it now I know you've got a book coming out in March 2022 and you may not be able to touch on many things or some of the things in there but whatever you can we'd be grateful for you to speak on so but to be honest actually you leapt in with two feet at the beginning so I know this question you're gonna just go running with it so my question (laughs) no no pun intended (laughs) to go on sprinter um but yeah It's basically, um, give us the tea, girl. What was it like to be a part of Team GB as a black female athlete? And were there ever times you felt your intersections of being black and female, in fact, you already said this, to be honest, were advantageous and or disadvantageous to the advancement of your career? Oh, loaded, loaded. Mm. Uh, Yes, yes. What was it like? What was it like? Do you know what? There was a lot of, Although moments were rough throughout my career, I I know I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Mm. And just listening to, like, just hearing you all reflect on how, how you know, some of you wish you'd taken it up and gone further. But, you know, our parents said just was blocking our moments of joy. And happiness. <laughs> um, like, I, I, I think... I'm I'm just so I'm thankful that despite all the challenges and the adver- adversities that I had to face, um, even amongst you know the years of like feeling like you're being scrutinised left, right, and centre, like being a professional athlete was one of the best jobs to have ever had. Even mm. with like in comparison to the job I got now when I work for an accounting firm as a consultant, I'm just like like how does this compare? Mm. You know, I, was, I get to travel the world for 99 or 95 percent of the time it's for free i get to meet people i get to run against the fastest people in the world um i get to perform on the big stage um yeah i get to i just get to do a lot there's a yeah there's just a lot it's just it's not like a normal nine to five job there's no off button that was the thing that was you know amongst many things there's no off button so when you guys are just like you know going to work nine to five or whatever and you know you, you're not dependent on your body to, to, to get mm. you through a workout or to get you through the day you literally have to depend on your body to function for every single workout and the hardest time was always winter so winter those months between october right through to march february time maybe those were always the worst ones because it's freezing it's cold you open the curtain living in this country is it's just a piss because you just open the curtain and it's just why is it so great why is it so damp why is it on the floor yeah Yeah. Yeah, it makes you so miserable like you're looking for that ounce of vitamin D so that's why we always have to leave the country go warm with the trainer but but then when I think about where I started 
that's one of the reasons why I never stopped. When I think about what I'm working towards, when I think about what I could be doing instead, I'd be like, okay, do you really want to give this up to do this? And I'm like, no, <laughs> let's keep going. Let's keep pushing. And I am actually one of the few people, even currently in the sport, who had, you know, a long stretch in their career. I had almost 20 years in the sport and I switched events. So when I tell you I maximised everything, my career, I really did. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of injuries, but nothing significant to keep me out, you know, for continuous years. Um, and I picked up quite a few medals along the way. Um, that's a few. I know that I know um, it's, a, it's slightly off topic, but on topic. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, I know this is your career, so, you know, money's residing on it. But mm-hmm. a lot of us struggle to even do the half an hour workout in the morning or that run. What kept you motivated? So you're saying, you know, you open the curtains, it's great, it's dry. What kept you motivated? Um, oh, it was different things. So every year you had a focus. So your focus would shift towards a championship. So the championship wouldn't be till July, August time. But it's like October, November, and it's just peeing down with rain. It's cold, you know, it's miserable. And it's like, you honestly ask yourself, do you want to be sat at home watching the championship or do you actually want to be there on the start line competing and potentially picking up a medal in the process? Um, there's that, there's that element to it. And then there's my family. So <laughs> um, when I moved to London, Four years of being in London. So I lived in London between 20, 2008 and 2012. Those are probably the most stressful years I've ever been in because just living in London was just, I was just like, oh, I, di- I didn't even know what to expect. I honestly mm. didn't know. When I was working several jobs, when I was hustling, I had to take care of myself. Um, I was I think it was a fear initially of, you know, going back with your head, with your tail between your legs. Mm. It was, that was never an option. Never, ever, ever an option. Um, like my parents, even though my parents would support me, they would always, that's what I mean, why I asked myself why I started. And I'd be like, yeah, you've, you've started, you've made this change, you've moved all the way here, let's make it happen. And the whole plan was to get to London 2012. So despite those different things I had to encounter, I did. And then, um, and then thereafter, um, my father passed away. He passed away like six months before London 2012. So every time, so every year or every moment I have where I don't want to get off or I don't want to finish this workout or whatever, I would just literally pitch my dad on the, on the sidelines. And he used to call me Nika, because that was my uh, nickname. And he would just be, you know, just encouraging me. I could just always hear his words all the time. So it's just, when I say it's like different things, it's family it's moments, it's um it's the drive and the passion that I have to succeed. Um it's it's the will of not wanting to do a nine to five and instead I've got, you know, I want to be able to maximize everything I have in my career. It's it's kind of yeah, it's all different things that keep me going keep me going in the sport. Mm-hmm. hmm So just taking it back a little bit to um the question that I asked a little bit earlier. So let's discuss kind of how you feel, you know, being black and female impacted your journey on Team GB because I, I don't know what percentage 
um, of athletes within the British team were black. To be honest, I'm thinking now of all the, I'll call them obscure, but no one please take offence. You know, the horse riding, the, the all the funky events like archery, swimming, all those kind of things. Those are mostly <laughs> dominated yeah. by, you know, white athletes and stuff. So I, I imagine the majority of black athletes on Team GB were actually in a track and field. And what was that like? And what was it with the women as well? Because when I think of these teams, you know, for a long time, the men had the spotlight, but definitely recently it's been the women. Like the women have mm-hmm. been right there at the forefront and they were at the Olympics as well. But I know before it was just like, you guys couldn't even get a, a look in whatsoever. No, that that was pretty much how it was. And I've covered, I actually covered a lot of this in the book about how, you know, just as a black woman in general, you're treated, you know, even outside of being a member of the relay team. I remember when I first started out making teams as a senior athlete, the the British boys would have, when we flew to events, we'd be doing the same competition, the same championship. They would have their own physio team, their own psychologist. Like the physio would fly with them. They would get everything on tap. Like they were fully, fully funded. Whereas the girls just weren't. We were mm-hmm. never, ever taken seriously, like ever. Not ever were we taken serious. And I think, oh gosh, we, we probably weren't as well until because there was no team in 2012. Mm-hmm. We, we, didn't, we didn't really get start, really didn't um, get taken serious until about 2013. That's when kind of a lot of the old athletes had retired and there was and you're moving into a new cycle post you know mm. a new olympic cycle so there's a lot of new faces there was a lot of current faces including myself so yeah it was it was great to be a part of that but when i think of how just certain things of, of, that i've seen and and just kind of had to endure mm. as a black woman um it even goes as, as far as you know traveling with the team and you know when you're traveling to you're just excited to travel and get to compete in all these amazing countries but you're definitely treated differently when you're black especially as a black woman Mm. so I I spoke I wrote an article for the Huffington Post last year about how I was around I don't know I think I was 2021 and I was traveling on a plane and you know um there was this guy and he started licking me he started licking Uh? my arm yeah, what? I started licking my arm. Yeah, I could just feel something. I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? What is this? And this guy, because it was cold on the aircraft, he he had his, he had his like jacket over him and he was in the middle seat. He was in the middle seat and I was on the window and he just basically like started licking my arm like some what? goddamn cat or dog or something. And I was just like, what is this? Because I, ha- I remember I had my headphones in and I was so disgusted. And he, he smiled. He smiled like he knew what he was doing and he was very much aware of where he was and what he was doing in that moment. And, yeah, he basically said to me, you know, you know, I, I always like to I always like to know what black women taste like. Uh, yeah. No. There's other places no. he could have licked if he really wanted to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. that is so, yeah, no, sorry. that is so wild. It's a bit city wow. girls yeah. to say that, but that's it is. a horrific experience. Yeah. I don't even it know what I do. Like, I mean, no, I might punch, that's the thing. But... <laughs> but that's the thing. Like in that moment, you're raging. But then again, as a black woman, yeah. right? What are your options? Mm-hmm. This is like some. He's either white or Arabian. I can't remember the specifics, but 
he was a non-black man and mm-hmm. he was um he, he basically took advantage of the situation so i couldn't tell an attendant i couldn't tell an air hostess because they would just be like what do you mean this sounds insane so I, so i basically got up and spent the rest of the flight at the back of the aircraft and oh i was just God. stuck by the toilet the whole time until it was ready to take my seat oh my and then God. yeah and then I, I remember coming off the aircraft and i just went to the toilet and i just burst out crying yeah. because you know you feel powerless in that moment because mm-hmm. this person obviously it's it appears that he 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 has a habit of it mm. or he's at least done it before and i just felt like oh gosh absolute um, violation yeah. were you uh, traveling yeah, as was. part of the team um, no, no, that was just to a competition. That was yeah. to a competition in like somewhere in the north, like Sweden or Norway or somewhere. So, God. no, it, that wasn't the case. And and then even when you're, so this is the other thing as well. Like we're not all treated equally. So when you are traveling with a team, you're going to you know a lot of competitions in Eastern Europe. You, we, mm. we, we, Russia. <laughs> Russia was the first place I've been to for years. Part of Eastern Europe, you can kind of navigate. But Russia, mm. they will let you know that you're black and you're not welcome. These people will stare you out. Some some places, they'll see you with the GB kit, competition kit, or Nike or Adidas. They can tell you're an athlete. So, unfortunately, in, in that case, they'll give you a little bit of leeway because they'll be like, oh, you're famous or you're, you know, That's you what you're here for. Yeah. Yes. Um... But Russia, when I went there, I had to stay in my hotel the whole time. I said, nah, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And the thing is, you can't go to team management because the team management are all white people. Like mm-hmm. 95% are all white. So if you if you um, have an incident where someone's calling you the N-word when you're in a restaurant or in a shop or you're getting um, racially profiled, which happened to me and a couple of athletes quite a few times, who are you supposed to talk to? Who are you supposed to mention it to? Like, the, you go, you can't go to white person because they, they can't empathise or sympathise with you in that position. So, yeah, it just it just made it difficult. There was quite a few times where it, it was it was hard. I had the police called on me when I was in Italy mm-hmm. um, in the streets by a local resident. She called the police and she said there was a black girl in her local area who she'd never seen before. Hey, I was just doing a warm-up routine. Oh, that was it. Yeah, so there was, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot. And I think we don't really like see this because all we see really is you guys on the track and at that point when they're kind of relying on you to win a medal, you're not getting the praise that you should, you're not being called delicate or athletes, they're still kind of throwing some backhanded digs, but we yeah. only really kind of see the good stuff when they really want to celebrate you, we never really see the mm-hmm. day-to-day reality of what it is like to travel because... As a black person, I have anxiety about traveling to certain parts of Europe. Like I would never travel to 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 Russia. No, like it's just not happening. Like bun it. So the idea that I'd have to travel there for work, and then while I'm there, I can't leave my hotel is actually wild. So yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's mad, and to think you're juggling all of that, and you're still having to focus on the game and what you're coming there to do. You come in there to win, essentially, and you've got to stay yeah. in that mind frame. And then it's also been an environment where you don't even have a safe space to kind of offload on. So I guess that takes me to my next question. Like, obviously, you're not the only black woman on, you know, team T 
GB, were you able on some occasions or in any occasion to kind of form a community or sisterhood with the other black female athletes, just so you had, you know, people to run these situations off of and kind of just get that compassion, kindness, and just, I don't know, that shared, that empowerment that comes from shared experience, even though the shared experience is absolutely horrific. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of wild moments for sure. But yeah, there was definitely a sisterhood within the sport, and it wasn't just the British girls neither. Like there was a lot of, there was a lot of British Nigerians when I was competing. There was quite a few, um, like me, me, Christine, mm. and Marilyn. We like we always used. To, I mean, first of all, people always used to get me and Christine mixed up all the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on. Um, and then secondly, we all had the same O, so Anika Nora, Christina Hirigu, Ravalan Aparo, all, you know when you go through the register? Yeah. It was all the O's, all the O's, Abby Oyepatan, there was so many of us, there was so, so many of us. So, like, we we definitely had um, a lot of shared experiences throughout the years in sports. And then, when it's not with the British the British team, you all you also, you know, meet people on the circuit. So mm. you meet loads of um athletes from Nigeria, from from Ghana, loads of West African athletes, some Caribbean athletes. So one of the things I struggled with, for example, was um like body body image, body weight. Mm. So in my early years I never saw a there was never a British athlete who kind of had the same body like mine. I know everyone's different in their own unique way, but there was no one who was modelled off my body. There was no one who I could relate to. Yeah. You know, you're you know, you're in there, you're there in your crop top and your knickers or your hot pants, and you think, oh, this person's got a similar body to mine, but there was literally no one, no British girl. But when I would compete on a global level, I would see the American girls, the Caribbean athletes, the West African girls, and I'm like, ah. This is it. Mm. So I would start. <laughs> I would honestly start to feel so comfortable, and I would ask them issues. And because, like, the, the coaches, you know, most of, some of the coaches here who are white, they know how to navigate like your mm. eating habits, diet, mm. what you should eat, and all of that. Whereas when I had conversations with all these global athletes from West Africa, the Caribbean, you know, all these dreamline, but like just to find bodies who look similar to mine. I could ask them questions. I could pick their brain. And that was always my place of comfort. But Because I, I couldn't get that from the British system. Them lot are too busy eat, eating pie and mash. And telling the athletes. <laughs> Don't finish me today. It's the thing, I think just to like touch on that, I think it, it's, it's very interesting as a non-athlete to understand how politicised a black um, female athlete body is. And that's one thing that seems to run through through athletics, through all sports, is like that hyper focus on your body and your body shape and kind of alienating you because you appear to be and you appear to look stronger uh-huh. and you, you don't necessarily fit into that very kind of dainty, delicate descriptions that they have for other women. I'm not saying you should because I like black yeah. bodies. I like my body. I'm chunky. I don't want to be delicate. I like how I am. But um, how does how does that play itself out in athletics now because we see the kind of the most potent experience example i can think of is serena williams in terms uh-huh. of people talking about uh-huh. her but how do you see that playing out in athletics now is that still a really major issue or is there just the black female body more accepted in your view oh, as a, a previous athlete i i definitely don't yeah. i definitely don't necessarily think 
the blockchain my body is accepted and I don't know if I don't know if I ever get to a place of acceptance especially dark women as well unfortunately um yeah I, I don't I can't put my finger on it like if there's going to be a moment when it's going to be like yeah things are going to change but even when you if you look at even Serena Williams now yeah as profile as she is she still gets scrutinized for her body non-stop um so, and if it's not her body it's her hair you know a lot of the black girls in sport in track and field we like to wear wigs wigs and weaves and braids all of that it's just constant scrutiny all the time whereas the white girls can do it they can wear wigs they can wear weaves they can wear cornrows and no one will say anything so um so yeah, I, I always that's why it was important so so important for me to have role models like Serena Williams. I mean my ass was big from from teenage years. So there was no one where <laughs> <sorry> it was. <laughs> there was no one in the sport who was like that, who had like yeah. big ass, big thighs, just yeah, was just, like there was no one. My bottom half was always big. Um and I, I, it made me extremely insecure. Um, I always used to wear dark colors. I always used to hide it. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you something now. I only ever found, I, I guess this is also in relation to my environment. Growing up in Liverpool was just different. You know, when you're growing up in a city that's predominantly white, it does have a, a, a good black community, but obviously not as, not as big as maybe London or Birmingham, Manchester even. Um, when it, it, it was just so difficult at times when you're, you know, you're trying to cover yourself up or you'd be made to feel like your body's out of place mm. all the time. So I would wear dark colours. I would wear oversized T-shirts. I would wear... Uh, imagine wearing oversized T-shirts over, like, abs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're so strong. Your body's so defined. Or I would just wear oversized t-shirts, baggy trousers, like everything. That was all. That was me when I was when I was like I just always cover long. Always, I never hated having my bum out. Anything supposed to have, my, I hated it. Hated. Mm. But then when I moved to London, um, it just it, it just changed my whole perception of things. When I when I first got on the team and I started seeing people who looked like me, that made me feel a hell of a lot comfortable. And then when I moved to London. Like I understood it. Like I hate to say it, but I felt a level of acceptance that I didn't necessarily feel in Liverpool. So I felt a lot more comfortable and safe. And um, <laughs> I used to go to my hairdressers on a Saturday in late June, <laughs> and I would just go there and just hang out because it was just the vibe. The vibe was different to when I was in Liverpool. Oh, um, I love yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, so I, I would I would feel like a lot at home when I was in London just because I was around people who look like me, who um had this mindset and also who yeah, who just run track as well. So And I think that's like something that those of us who grew up in London kind of always take for granted. Just like if sometimes it feels we're we're in scarcity here, like we're always like, Oh, there's not enough this, there's not enough that but we don't really kind of consider how much um more scarce certain things are for people who live in the other cities um in the mm-hmm. rest of England. And just we actually do have quite a bit of representation here. So yeah, I guess that's the challenge for people as well when they're competing or wanting to compete in 
in these kind of spaces, but they're not even um, doing so in a city like London. You really have to have a certain kind of mindset, um, be it strong or determined. Um, you've just got to kind of push through um, all of the hurdles or just kind of things that can really just shatter your dreams and you just got to stay laser focused on those things so I'm really glad that you touched upon those things I mean they weren't questions that I had but it's really important to like just get to the nitty-gritty of things such as body issue and stuff because we always look at athletes and we think raw these people are sick fat look at her abs look at her body everything and we would never for a second <laughs> think that you know you're dealing with those kind of battles inside as well as trying to focus on running the race and stuff and as spectators we can be really harsh and brutal in our critique especially you know with the emergence of social media and stuff so I can't even imagine what it's like really to be an athlete in this day and age compared to being an athlete back then when the most kind of criticism you were going to get was going to be in their papers or the commentary at the time but now you know the criticism and the comments can last literally perpetually so I think that's really important for people to understand that perspective when thinking about athletes in general but also black female athletes and the challenges um you guys kind of um are dealing with at the time so I feel like we've covered so many different topics here and we could definitely carry on forever like literally there's so much to unpack but we do have to wind things up so I think for me I feel like you know there might be someone who's listening to this thinking I want to become an athlete I don't really know how to go about it (laughs) I run for my brother like two people on this (laughs) podcast but um, I want to take it further I've got the support network but I don't really know how to um, just I don't know how to push forward with it so I think it would be really nice to hear like what your tips are kind of in these three areas and we can go through them one by one I guess the first one being you know tips in terms of the mentality and character you need second one being tips in terms of physical fitness and maintaining it and um tips in terms of navigating sport as a black British woman but let's start with the first what would your key tip be for maintaining like mentality what kind of mentality and character do you need to kind of be successful in this arena oh unfortunately as a black woman that you can't afford to slip up you know um but how but but there are so many people and so many role models out there so so many more now even when I started for young girls especially young black girls to be encouraged by um there are like countless ones so I always had like I'm thankful for my family and my friends because those moments where I had people repeatedly telling me oh you're not going to make it or you know you're not good enough or you know you're not going to get this that and the other then guys, them lot didn't even make it to the Olympics and I went to three. Pew, pew, and pew, I was pew. out here winning medals. You know, so <laughs> so there were there were so many there were so many moments and times you might want to give up and you might want to start. But you you have to remember why you started. Why did you start this in the first place? You so you there's gonna be moments where you're gonna get more that stacked up against you than for you. But what are the moments or what are the bits that you can pick apart that make you smile, that make you happy, that take you to your happy place? Me, it was always track. Running was always my happy place. I could switch off from the entire world. I would have so much drama, so much crap going on in the background. Mm. But once I got, once I turned up to training, I was just so mentally focused on what I needed to do. That was it. I'd turn off everything and I, I would always say to myself, okay, this is my goal for today. 
the one I want to focus on, just park everything else. You can get to it when you get to it. And then I just keep, kept going and going and going. Is it mentally draining at times? Yes, of course. But one thing I always say as well is to share and offload. So, you know, you're not going through it alone. You don't have to feel like you're you're going through it. Like I, I did a very good job at times, unfortunately, of self-sabotaging myself. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe as black women, we go through that as well. Um, where we just we just tell ourselves we're not good enough, we're not supposed to be here. I stopped it. I would literally just get on the start line and go f all of that. I remember why I started, like why I'm killing myself in this 400 meters goddamn race. You know, I don't mm. want to be here because I'm going to get lactic acid. But then I challenge myself. So then I would always turn it into a thing. Do you guys remember Challenge Annika Annika Rice? I think so. Long long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> I remember her definitely. So, yeah yeah so annika rice um i think she had a show one of the shows called challenge annika and i turned that into me so i had it for myself what what is going to challenge annika what is going to get you to run quick in this race what what are the parts that you need to pick apart that's going to get you um where you need to be whether it's on the track in the weight room um sponsorship deals like what boxes are we ticking off here so mm-hmm. through those moments of mentally feeling like you can't do it i would always just push through and you know i'm thankful for the good people i had around me through those moments because i definitely wouldn't have got it got through it without them and that kind of feeds into like your tips for like maintaining physical fitness and just like you know also healthy body image i suppose when faced you know in such a deeply competitive environment what's your advice on that yeah um I would definitely say like I was encouraged by like I said Sabina Williams so she didn't make me feel like I was abnormal and you know what this you know what the other thing I forgot to mention as well I actually met her in London 2012 in the games and she was sitting there in the food hall and I almost had a heart attack (laughs) I really really did because she's so beautiful like she's like beautiful inside and out and then when I seen her I was just like good lord like this is everything to me like like 10 year old Annika 12 year old Annika will be pinching herself right mm-hmm. now um and I know they say oh never meet your idols but Serena Williams was was she was so lovely she really was she was just so so nice um and because of the likes of her I feel I felt like okay this is my body I can't change it for anyone mm-hmm. but this body is also going to get me to where I need to be to the level of success I need to achieve you know, like you, you're not made to be a scrawny, um, a scrawny eight. That's not you. Like, no, <laughs> like you got ass, you got thighs, you, like you got power, you got strength, you got mm-hmm. so much speed. All these attributes are going to get you to where you are. So in terms of like feeling encouraged or being encouraged, I, I'm encouraged by the people I had around me. The, my role model, Serena Williams, even today, we've got like the likes of Dean Asher Smith, all those mm-hmm. four by one relay girls who were just killing it constantly on the scene and then you've got like the jamaicans and americans as well yeah so it's important to have these these role models around us it really really is we come in different shapes and sizes we we all look different you know we're all we are all unique black women um and i just love to see it very very okay moving on to the um last tip which is how to navigate sport as a black british woman is there anything that people should kind of bear in mind in advance just to get them in the right frame of mind and or anything specific that might aid their advancement in sport as a black british woman from past experience i 
I would probably say what one of my biggest regrets was probably, and I didn't really do this throughout my career out of fear of being penalised, losing my funding, endorsements or whatever. Now I'm singing like a canary. Um, yes, but back then sing. I wish I'd spoken up more. <laughs> I feel like um, a lot of us have this, you know, new, we have this um, feeling as well, to be honest, but carry on. <laughs> no, definitely. It is true. But yeah, I'm singing like a canary. And when I see young black girls who are going through anything, like any any type of discrimination, or they feel as though they're being penalised, or they feel as though they're going to be under scrutiny, I'm just like, no, like, just speak up. Like, you don't know who you're helping, because I didn't realise how much I was helping people mm-hmm. by speaking about the things that I've experienced. I wasn't caring about the backlash. And then there'd be like white people in my mentions. Why is it always going to be about race? Mm-hmm. Come on, I'm going to be and blocked. But people always want to make it about a thing because they've never experienced that. But I would always tell these girls, like, speak up. Like, speak up. I help, help. You're helping yourself and you're helping others around you. Like, that's the importance of sisterhood. And I learned that from the people I had around me, the people who were going through different things. Um, because, you know, sometimes the white people weren't willing to speak up because they were good. They were in, like, nice, comfortable positions. Mm-hmm. But when you when you look around and you realise you, you're all you've got, mm. like, now nah, you can't just sit back and take things lying down. So, no, it's important to, to have, to be honest, be open and just have these conversations so you are able to help navigate the next generation who may, be, who may go something similar moving forward you're so right and it's one of the things that i love about this current age you know with the likes of simone biles naomi osaka they're just telling you like no i don't feel like doing it you're not going to force me this is where i'm at i'm feeling this way and if i don't want to continue competing i'm not going to and people lambast them left right and center but they stick to their guns because they know what they're going through is more important than the opinions of others and actually their health, their well-being is more important. And that's I feel like that's emboldening and strengthening so many other black female athletes out there to just like not always feel like, oh, but what if other people say or what if people say this? Or what if people say that? No, they're feeling more empowered now to say, actually, I'm not OK with everything that's going on. I can't really cope right now. And actually, the best thing for me is to take a step back and um just to do so confidently so you're so right it's like you're about people the speak up is sorosoke so that's what we use for nsars to be honest but i mean it applies to all areas of life and it's really important and i know it i know i know i know it's so much easier said than done like mm-hmm. even me in, in my almost mid-30s because i'm not quite there yet i'm, I'm mentioning but um yeah <laughs> i haven't always been the person that i've been um or spoken up but it does come to a point where you've face so many things that you're just like yeah no I don't give two hex now because like not speaking is not doing me any good so what have I got to lose so I do think that's a valuable and important point and on the subject of speaking up um obviously as I mentioned earlier at the top of the pod you have a book coming out so do do promote this and what it's about and when it's coming out exactly yes yes I am super super excited to be releasing my autobiography um i wrote it gosh i wrote it during lo- i started during lockdown and i have an amazing team of people who are just helping me through this process and like this i, I love speaking to you guys and i just love speaking on black women's 
past because obviously a lot of the stuff unfortunately that we can do is later on but um with this book in particular like people have asked me oh what what are you writing about and what makes this book so special this book is extremely explosive um without going into specifics it just tackles a lot of issues it, it, oh, can it you give us a bit? You, you can't tell us the book is exclusive and then not even like, <laughs> do a little salt bay, like a little sprinkle, like clean, a little big. sprinkle. Please. Um, oh, what can I add? I'm basically just calling people out, mm. um, alive or deceased. Wow, boy, 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 destroy you vibes. Hey, <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i've wrote it for a reason a lot of the things that i went through and that i endured it was seriously messed up some things not all of it, it it's not it's not taken away from the fact that i did have some really good moments but when i look back and i'm like nah that wasn't good or that went right and at times as a black woman especially i did not feel protected I didn't feel protected by the people around me. I didn't feel protected by the system. And in doing so, I just felt like there were certain things that I had to endure that it wouldn't necessarily have been the same for other people. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the book is a lot. It's heavy, but um, mm -hmm. it's my story to tell. And mm -hmm. I am extremely, extremely so excited to to finally, you know, have my moment to just talk about everything and just leaving no stone unturned. Yes, that's yeah, it, man. I no stone unturned. But looking for yeah, exactly. I cannot wait to read it. I'm very much March twenty twenty two will come around quickly. So I'm definitely looking yes. forward to reading that and hopefully we can get you back on after we've read it and speak a little bit about that as well and this the stuff that's in the book. But um thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad like I literally sport has been one of the topics that I've been wanting to do for a couple of seasons, but we just kind of um just haven't got round to it yet. So I'm so glad that you were able to join us and speak about these things um let the people them know where they can find you on social media or wherever you want to share oh okay um um i'm on twitter at annie onora at a double n y o n u o r a instagram at annika so that's at a n y i k a i don't really use facebook that's what i like oh please please we ain't on facebook no more sorry facebook <laughs> but we ain't doing no more no, no, it's no. fine that's for your aunties that's not yeah us. exactly yes it is. it is it is <laughs> <laughs> posts and videos of cats oh, and god and all that stuff, stuff and fake I'm news like, okay. yeah but, exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly we will for sure be including your contact information in the blurb anyway so don't worry people will be able to find you they won't be like how did she spell that <laughs> um so don't worry about that well as i said before thank you so much for joining us today and thank you to everyone listening as we always say, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. I don't know how many tell a friends I did, but basically tell your friends. <laughs> Remember, you can keep the conversation going on our social media platforms at BWWPodcastUK. The hashtag is exactly the same. And the website is www.blackwomenworking.com 
gmail.com and you can also email us actually if you should like to and um, we do love your little love letters to us saying oh we love this episode etc etc keep them coming honestly it's so encouraging so you can email us at blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com and um, we will respond to those or dm us on instagram twitter wherever you feel like but um that's it from us today thank you so much again for listening thank you annika for joining us and we shall see you in the next installment of the black women working podcast everyone say bye thank you bye Bye. thank you for having me bye